This is part two of my one-on-one with Michael Kitsis, the man who needs no introduction. In this episode, he shared his process for improving as a speaker, the importance of business storytelling, and what to do if you think your clients only are interested in facts and figures. And my favorite part of the episode comes at the end where Michael tells us his principles for laying the foundation of a successful digital empire. Hi, I'm Deirdre Van Mest, and you're listening to the Crazy Good Talks podcast. I created this podcast because I'm obsessed with helping financial professionals and entrepreneurs like you express yourself in a way that attracts and wins you more business. Plus, I want to help you make a huge impact on the lives of others. That's why each episode is packed with actionable strategies to help develop your speaking, storytelling, and content creation skills. Skills that allow you to effortlessly make emotional connections with your ideal clients. I'm so excited to take you on this journey because when you learn these skills, your influence and your impact will be limitless. Let's jump in to today's episode. All right, we are back with Michael Kitsis. And Michael, in part one of this two-part episode, you gave us your journey from um, being an advisor to advisor, which I'll have you define for us in a moment, to speaker and what that was like and how you went. You just had a drive and a passion and how you turned that into a speaking career and how you went from free to fee. And in this episode, I want to take a deeper dive on that. But first, what does advisor mean? I love that term, but uh, tell our listeners what that means. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, so a little context. I, well, I guess this is a little inside baseball for the financial advisor industry. So you know, advisors will take this different way than the, the other entrepreneurs who may be listening. So uh, you know, financial advisor traditionally written is, is Frankly, a really overgeneralized term. Like it's literally not a regulated term. Anybody can say they're a financial advisor. If you're going to get paid for the advice, either by selling a product or charging a fee, there is a licensing requirement to, to get paid, but not to use the title. And even the licensing requirements to get paid are actually pr- pretty low bars. Like they, they don't mm. test whether you know anything about money or investments. They're basically sales licenses or licenses to determine that you, you understand the laws that will apply to you for what you're doing, but like, there's no test for advice associated with being a financial advisor. Uh, and, and just mathematically, literally writ, loss, writ large across the industry, the majority of people who use financial advisor in their title, their actual license is, at, is as a financial salesperson uh, to, to sell products and earn commissions for the sale of products. And so, you know, I'm someone who has a lot of passion around the actual business of advice and giving people advice. Nothing against the product side. I started out my career on the product side. Ultimately, people do actually need a lot of financial services products for, for very positive reasons. But I think it's really important to draw a line between when you're engaging a salesperson and when you're engaging someone for actual advice, not pursuant to a sale. At least I want to know. Like, I understand yes. when I go in the gap and they say the pants look good on me, like we all understand how this relationship works. Like I do appreciate you've helped me find the pants in the right size and a little bit of off the cuff advice about whether it looks good on me. But I understand that you work on commission and I will take your comments on my looks with a grain of salt. If I hire someone to be my fashion consultant, I expect you to actually give me advice about my yes. fashion. Yes. Uh, and I say that tongue in cheek because I have absolutely no fashion sense at all. My brand is wearing the same shirt and I own 12 of them. So I don't have to figure out what to Which wear. Which we love. We love this blue shirt. We I appreciate that. Yes. So, 
So I try to make a distinction between the people who are financial advisors, air quotes, some of whom are in the product business and some of whom are in the advice business, and the people who are purely in the business of giving advice and getting paid for advice. And so I call that group financial advisors. On our, on our site, we have a whole financial advisor manifesto about yes. what it really takes and what it means to really be in the financial advice business and to be a financial advisor. But that that ultimately is 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 our mission even from our platform is making financial advisors better and more successful. And so we've got a lot of educational material we give on both the technical side, how to give better advice, uh, and the business and career and practice management side, how to have a more successful career or build a better business as a financial advisor, all for just the particular focus of the people who are in the business of actually selling the knowledge between their ears and getting someone else to pay you for it, which is very different than selling a, a product, not, not to knock the product side, but just Selling a product is different than selling yourself. Absolutely. And, and this your is one knowledge of the ways, and advice. This is one of the ways you avoid commoditization is by is, is by doing that. Okay, Absolutely. great. Awesome. I love that. All right. So let's go back to speaking. We were talking about going from free to fee. We talked about experience. So I'm curious to know, how do you personally prep for a presentation? And over the 17 years, how have you continuously improved as a speaker? You know, one of my mentors, Craig Valentine, who's just an incredible speaker said, let me see if I can get this right. If you practice doing the wrong things, you'll just get better at doing it wrong. Does that make sense? So like, yeah. so it's like people will be like, yeah, I'm good. I practice a lot, but are you practicing the right thing? So what have you done to get better and make sure you're practicing the right things? So a, a couple of things. I think the, the, the first starting point for me was uh, ever, you know, almost every event out there these days and, and more or less since forever, like, has some kind of feedback that they do, right? You know, the association of the events, you know, what'd you think of the event? What'd you think of the speaker? You know, please provide the comments, you know, rate them on one to five or whatever it is. Uh, I, I would get that feedback. I would ask the events for that feedback because not a lot of them share or not a lot of them share by default. Reach out to every single event after the event. Like, really appreciate speaking at your event. I hope we can work together again in the future. Uh, for the first almost 10 years, I wrote handwritten thank you notes to every single event organizer just to connect with them and try to nice. try to be memorable to them because not a lot of other speakers do that. Uh, and, and I would always say, you know, if you've collected feedback from your, from your session evaluations, I would really appreciate if you would share all the feedback, all the written comments that came in good or bad. We, we take this as feedback to get better. Collectively, royal we was mostly yes. I like to talk in we terms. Yes. Uh, you know, we take this feedback to get better. And and I would actually read every comment on every eval that was sent along. And so some of it's good, some of mm -hmm. it's not good. I mean, they'll always be not something like no matter how amazing a speaker it is, it doesn't like, matter. Someone's gonna think that like the person sucked, or you know, for every everyone who thinks the speaker is great, someone else says they were too cocky. And for everyone who says like that speaker was really humble, someone else is like, I don't even know why I'm listening to him. That person wasn't credible. Like, there's always something. But looking at all of the feedback, you know, looking at all of the negative feedback, because there's always some looking for patterns in the negative feedback, because yep. sometimes it's one screwy person, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah. By the time I've gotten like the 17th comment that there's like slides were unreadable, too many words in the slides, like, okay, I get it. I need to stop I putting need to a change thousand my words on every slide, yes. which I absolutely did. Still yep. do that sometimes. We did a lot of it back then. So, uh, so just looking at the feedback, looking for at least the patterns in the feedback, and just listening to the feedback. Yeah. <laughs> when they say they don't like a thing, stop doing the thing. Stop doing the thing. Stop doing the thing. Uh, the, the second thing that I did was, and this didn't crop up often, particularly early on, because just I was doing a lot of, uh, of 
local local events. When I started getting events that were a little bit bigger, I would occasionally get events that would record the session, right? Because they're, mm-hmm. you know, do the audio and video setup because they're, you know, broadcasting or sending it virtually. That happens a lot more now because we live stream a lot of stuff. Back then it was more like, we're recording this because we're putting it on a CD for people yeah. who are going to get it after the event. But like, <laughs> that we're going to mail out. <laughs> With audio and video. And so I would ask for a copy. If I saw that they were recording, right? It's kind of obvious. See the camera at the other, other end of the room. Uh, anytime I saw they were recording, I would ask for a copy of the recording. I say, look, like, I'm not going to use it or sell it externally. Like it's, it's your thing for your event. Like just for our internal purposes, we love to keep a copy of any, any sessions where we're recording. Could you please send us a copy? And so virtually all of them would cooperate and send a copy. And so I'd, and so I'd pop it. And so I'd pop it in, you know, just like pop the CD in because that's most of what it was back then. And and watch the recording, uh, which usually was horrific. Yeah, it's painful. It's painful uh, I mean, in the part beginning. Part of it is just almost none of us like hearing ourselves talk. It sounds yeah. strange because your voice literally sounds different to you recorded than when you hear it inside of your head from your voice box. Uh, you know, we we are always are uh, not always, but most people at least are, we're our own worst self critics. Yes. So little overly harsh on ourselves, but but boy, like watch yourself speaking a couple of times, you will see a whole lot of stuff like, wow, I didn't even realize I do that. I need to not do that anymore. Uh, speaking mannerisms. Sometimes you realize something about your body language. Sometimes you'll notice you've got filler words that you use. You've got mannerisms that you don't like. Just look, you got to look at it, like go back and look at the tape, right? Same thing, particularly in sports. Like you got to exactly. go back and look at the tape. That's how you improve your behavior. And, and it works in the speaking realm as well. I will. I know there are folks out there that will literally like do practice versions of their presentation in front of the camera, record it, go back and look at it. Um, it just, at least for me, I, I never went, I never went there. Uh, but I would get recordings when events were recorded and I would go back and look at the tape and, you know, pretty, pretty self-evident very quickly of things that I could work on and improve. And, and so I did, right? I mean, again, we, we tend to think about this of, you know, the, the, all the proverbial, like 15 years of overnight success sort of stuff. Uh-huh. I, I probably done seven to 800 events now cumulatively over the years. So, you know, you, you look at the tape, you spot a thing you probably need to approve on. And then for the next couple of months, like that's the thing I'm trying to roll up in my head to, to focus on, you know, not everything. Cause I'm, you know, like I can't deal with all of it at once. It's going to depress myself. If I try I'm like, okay, there's at least one thing that I clearly suck that more than all the other things that I suck at. I'm apparently not totally hopeless because people are paying me and ask me to come back, but I'm seeing where I want to, why I want to focus and improve. So look at the tape, like, okay, that's the thing I want to improve on. It's a, it's a filler word. It's a mannerism. It's a like, wow. I did a pretty good session then basically slinked off the stage. Like that was a horrible close. I'm like, okay, I need to figure out how to close on a higher note, whatever it was. And over time, just going back and looking at the tape and saying, okay, how, what am I going to try to do differently next time? Then I'm going to be practicing that in live audiences. I do my, my next few events. And at some point someone else will record the event. I'll go back and get another chance to look at the tape. Oh, Got a little better at that. Okay. Yeah. I love what you're saying. This is something as a, as a speaking coach that I, I tell my clients all the time, pick the one thing you're going to work on for a period of time, get better at that. And then you can move on to the next. If you try to do everything, it's incredibly overwhelming. So that's a strategy that I also use too, is like, okay, what's the one thing in this presentation I'm going to work on, right? Okay. What's, what am I doing the next time? And so I really want you for my, for my listeners, like really hone in on the one thing 
yeah. get better at the one well, thing and then you can move on to the next. But if you try to do five, 10, 20, oh my gosh, like you're, you're forget it. Well, <laughs> I, I, the other thing, Frank, that I would, I would note to that as well. I mean, I, I probably lucked into this a little bit indirectly in that I, I don't know, I, I didn't have the realization that maybe I should have been recording myself early on. And it took a while. It like, it took a few years before I was getting new events that were large enough that they were recording and there was an opportunity probably would have happened faster now. Cause we record more, but it wasn't as common then. Uh, it was a few years before I spent much time looking at the tape and, and in retrospect, I think that was actually probably a good reason, like a good thing for, for two reasons. One, uh, just, God, if I looked at the early tapes, it probably would have been so, so horrible. I just would have given up. Totally. Because uh, I'm sure it was awful at the beginning. The, the, the second thing, though, is, I mean, I find this is really true for almost any type of, of skill that you're trying to build and develop. You have to get to a certain point where at least you can do the core thing unconsciously without thinking about it. Because that's what literally frees up enough presence of mind to be able to focus on a part of what you're doing. If the thing is not on autopilot, trying to think about the thing while you're doing the thing just overloads the brain and and you shut down. I mean, I I just remember living this even as a financial advisor, like the first few years, I'm just trying to figure out how to get through client conversations without stumbling on it. Now... I have more than enough experience that as I'm seeing a client conversation, I'm not only, I'm not only having the client conversation, I'm thinking about like, how's my body language right now? How's the client's body language? How are they taking this? How's the environment doing? How am I feeling about the flow of this conversation? Cause like I'm used enough to the conversations that I can have the presence of mind to do sort of the higher, higher magnitude thinking, right? I even reflect on this with like teaching my, cause I've got young children, like teach my kids to ride a bike. You know, if you try to explain all the things to do or ride a bike early on, like there's so much coming at them, they can't process it all. Like, how do you teach kids to ride a bike? Like, just had them put their feet on the pedals. I grabbed the backside of the bike and dragged it along with them to keep them upright and just let them get used to steering and having the bike moving, having the pedals moving, having their feet moving. And after they got used to it for a while, then like I could let go of the bike and they could realize like, oh, I need to keep pedaling. If I slow down, like the bike falls over. But you, like you, you, you can't like your brain can't handle the presence of mind of trying to be self-aware about a thing while you're still learning the nuts and bolts of doing the thing initially. So it took a certain level of just raw practice and repetition, not even the structured feedback, just to literally do the thing yeah. a couple of times. Until I got to the point of, okay, I basically know, like, I know how I explained that, but you know, the AMS T stuff, like, I know I explained this stuff. I kind of know my pacing because I've just done this 10 or 20 times now. I sort of know how it flows that I could then get a little bit of presence of mind of like, oh, you know, I'm actually realizing as I'm on like the, uh, the 17th bullet point on this slide that basically no one's looking at me anymore. <laughs> like they're, they're looking away, they're looking off in space. I, I'm pretty sure I've actually gone past the point on this. And that I need to move on to the next slide. But like, I couldn't even process that early on. I'm just trying to like read my own slides and not get lost in what I'm talking about. No, that makes sense. So recognize you got to get to a certain level of raw practice and comfort with your flow before you can even try to do the self-aware improvement stuff, or you're just, you're so much in your own head game. Nothing, nothing's going to come out. You'll jumble yourself. No, absolutely. I was talking with a leader in the industry, Keith uh, Gillies over at UWAG and he was saying that, uh, he said, yeah, I, I, I coach basketball. And he goes, we had this saying, 
that if you had to, if the player had to think when they got on the court, they hadn't practiced enough. And the point of the practice is so when you get on the court, you don't have to think. Yep. And that's exactly it. You know, when we work with clients, we recommend that they write out their pr- presentations word for word. Now, does that mean it's said word for word? And it doesn't mean it's said word for word. What it means is that you practice it and you get into this groove enough so that when you get out there, you can be as natural as you want to be because it's ingrained. You don't have to think about what's coming next. And that is a really, that that's such a good point. I want to switch a little bit to storytelling. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I was on your podcast. We talked a lot about storytelling. We're all about storytelling and the importance in presentations, but also just in communication in general. So I'm curious to know, you know, from your perspective, Michael, and, and, and what you're doing with your organization, how does storytelling play a role in your communication and where do you see it showing up? I mean, storytelling for me shows up in bits and pieces just all over it. It's just woven into a lot of our content. Uh, you know, if you, if, I mean, for anyone who's actually read articles on our site, on Nerds Eye View, like almost every article, the first section starts off with a story. Like I, yeah. I'm incapable of making a point without giving the backstory that leads up to the, to the point first, uh, to, to the extent that like, even when we write our executive summaries of our articles, uh, the way that we write our executive summaries has a format and it actually draws from the, the Disney Pixar formula of how to tell a story. Love that. So once upon a time, there was a blank and every day they blank until one day blank happened. And then, and then, and then until finally, that's kind of, if you go back and look at any Pixar movie now, I've just ruined all the Pixar movies because they basically. Cause that's it. Them. You don't even need to watch them. That's, that's the whole, that's the whole formula. Um, and, and, but it, it always starts off with once upon a time, there was a, blank and every day they blank until one day something happened it all changed and that's what kicks off the story and the journey that we're going to be going on and so but like i just sort of have this compulsion now anytime we're talking about something i i i have to i have to set that up first so i, I call it something like saying the table or, or or dressing the stage because i just came from a theater background uh that like we we always have to set that up first it's just kind of the foundational piece of let, let me give you a lead into this story about how we got here. And then I'm going to teach you or tell you the thing that we're going to be talking about. And then at the end, I'll tell you what I told you. Yeah. yeah. So it, to me, it's just, it's part of what we do. I try to build that into, uh, e- I mean, even when we're teaching like nerdy tax law stuff, like let's take a moment, and just talk about the crazy story about where this law actually came from. Cause you know, funny thing, two minute journey about where that tax law came from. And, and then, uh, and then there we are, you know, I, I, some of our practice management content still got to have some kind of story journey of an advisor, historical industry context, some story journey about how we got to where we are. It shows up in our articles as well. I will grant I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people that I, I really, there are folks out there that I feel like are, are master storytellers and like, every story is witty and has this amazing journey and all of these like analogies to the thing that's just immaculately written when you get to the end, you're like, Oh, that was beautiful and perfect. Like, I'm not that, I'm not that good at it, but I do always feel just this, this inclination desire, I guess it's part of how my brain is wired that I've tried, I have trouble explaining a thing without first saying the context for the thing. Yeah. And, and that becomes the basis and the foundation for a story. I can't talk about a thing until I talk about how we got here to the thing. 
And and to me, just that that's the element. That's the that's the essence of storytelling. And it weaves in every presentation we build. It often weaves more than once into the presentations that we're that we're doing, all, all built around that framework. Yeah. And so what would you say to the advisor or the entrepreneur who says, Yeah, Michael, Giorgio, but you don't know my clients. My, you know, I'm working with engineers or I'm working with people in tech and they're just they're super buttoned up and they just want the facts and that's that's all they care about. Like this story stuff is all fluffy. What, what would you say to that? Well, I mean, short answer would be come up with more relevant stories. Like I, that, <laughs> I love it. I, to me, like that, that's not people don't like a story. It's people don't like a story that isn't relevant to them. Love that. <laughs> uh, you know, what? like what's their story? What's, what's their journey? What's going on in their lives that, you know, the story you want to tell would have some, some resonance to them. I, I just human beings are, are kind of hardwired to, to story. I mean, literally like it's why storytelling, story selling it yeah. connects so well, our brains are just wired to connect with narratives. We, I mean, we find narratives we, even when there's no narrative, right? Like right. You, you show a chart with random dots and people will tell you a story about the dots, even if they were actually literally truly random dots, we, 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 we connect dots and find stories and narrative and narrative and everything, but no one wants to hear a story that doesn't have a takeaway for them. No one wants to hear a story that doesn't have a point, right? I always remember back to, you know, the famous rants and planes, trains and automobiles where Steve Martin goes off and like, yes. here's an idea for your stories. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting <laughs> to the listener. So you know, know what your story is and where it's going and that you're telling a story that actually has some connection to the person that you're trying to talk to. But our, our brains are just wired this way. Now, granted, some people like long stories. Some people maybe like shorter stories. I don't. I don't want to too overgeneralize this. I'm sure we can find some human being who just literally hates stories. Right. But we're we're pretty much all wired this way. But if the story isn't connecting with us, if I don't have some kind of investment in the story, if I can't see myself in the story, if I don't feel some connection with the story, then it's just a boring person talking pretty quickly. Yeah. Or TMI. That's the worst. Or TMI. Oh, that's painful. That's painful. All right. So as we're wrapping up this episode, I do want to talk about thought leadership. And I would love for you to share for you, what's been the most powerful medium in establishing yourself as a thought leader? Because it's one thing to have a podcast or, you know, be a great presenter, have a book, but you, you're a bona fide thought leader, which is, which is a whole elevated level of thinking, quite frankly, and putting content out there. What, what's the medium? So, so I'd, I'd answer this two ways because there, there's kind of a, an essential connection b- between them. Uh, the, the short answer of, of what's the medium is like, it's just your website. It's your space that you own. Like mm, love that. If, if, you, if you want to talk from a soapbox, the only key is you have to own a box. Mm. But you have to oh, own a box. Like That's so good. If, if you want to have a soapbox and all you do is go find other people's boxes to stand on, at some point yeah. they might not let you stand on their box and then you yeah. have nothing to shout from. Okay. So that's, that's good. If, if you want to have a soapbox, you got it. You got to, you got to make your own box and, and it's not hard, right? Like I can register a domain name for $9. I got to spend a little yeah. bit more money for someone to stand up a, a website that I can run. Like it doesn't take much to own a piece of digital real estate today. You don't even have to own physical real estate and a box. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a website, but you got, you, you got to have a box to stand on and you got to own the box. Cause if you don't own the box, someone can take the box away from you. Right. So I fundamentally, like we never build our platform on social media. We never went into 
LinkedIn groups and Facebook pages and all the rest. Yes, we show up there. The things on our website get sent out through those. Yes. But, you know, part of this is, at least I had always heard it from uh, Brian Clark uh, back then of Copy Blogger. And, you know, his way of framing this was don't, don't be a digital sharecropper. Right. The, mm-hmm. the challenge for sharecroppers of the past was they farmed the land, but they didn't own the land. And so at some point, the landowner changed the rules of the land. You had no crops. Yeah. And so if you so build good. on Facebook or LinkedIn or any of the social media platforms and they change the rules, they change the algorithm, they change the flow, your business can vanish overnight. When you own your property, you own your property. So don't be a digital sharecropper. Own your digital house. Own your own your soapbox, which to me, like it's don't make it more complex than it needs to be. It's a website that has a place where you can type things and hit publish so human beings can find it and read it. <laughs> that's, that's really all it takes. And even if you go and look at some of the you know, in, incredible thought leaders out there, and particularly ones that have been doing this 15, 20 years, like back to the early days of the internet, some of them are basically still running the website they had from 20 years ago. Like it's just a bunch of text. It looks like nothing. People don't show up because it's pretty. They show up because of what it says mm. and the actual substance of the content. So, so I'd say like number one is... You know, if you want to like, if you want a soapbox, you got to go get a box that you own. Digital realm makes it very findable. So I'm a big fan of websites. And the other reality of if you want to, if you want to build a thought leadership platform is you need some way to get people to come back after they see it the first time. Okay. I mean, a lot of us had this experience like, oh yeah, I read this article once, like on that thing, like it was awesome. Oh, you remember what website I was saying? Yeah, I don't remember, you know. I was surfing yeah. on the internet one night and I found a thing and I read it and it was cool. And then I moved on with life. And like, I have no idea how to find it again. Like maybe if I remember the words, I can go Google it. But uh, you know, we, 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 we plow through lots of content on a continuous basis. Did smartphones and the rest make it easier and easier. At some point, if you want to actually turn this into a business, you not only need to put thought leadership out, you need some way to bring people back. And simply put, the, the the way you bring people back is you ask them for an email address in exchange for something useful. And then you honor that by only sending them more useful things like the thought leadership stuff that you're putting out that's relevant to them. Yeah. So you create a lead uh, magnet that people want, right? Yep. Get the I mean, email we've, and then, you know, we, yeah. We've lived all the medium, you know, audio and video and written and social media of a zillion different platforms. You know, we've done everything from... Uh, uh, broadcasting out spontaneous video when that was hot for a while on Vine and the things that followed. Yeah. We've, we've done uh, ev- pretty much every social media channel imaginable. We pushed our content lots of different ways. At the end of the day, like if you blew up the website and everything and all of the rest, as lo- I could rebuild any business as long as I've got my email list. Really? Yeah. You know, uh, and you know, as much as we knock email, like yeah. you know, it's an overflow and we get so much email and there's right. a lot of spam. And it's overwhelming. Like, yes, all of that's true. And every other version of content is exponentially worse. I mean, you think email's overwhelming. Facebook posts are so overwhelming. Facebook filters out like 97% of them. You don't even see most of what's there because otherwise it would be such an avalanche and torrent. You wouldn't even be able to read it and follow it all. The same thing on Twitter and most social media platforms. Like the social media platforms figured out a long time ago, you literally have to curate the heck out of it. Or it's overwhelming. So, you know, if you think your email's overwhelming, you hit delete on, on 50% of it. Well, great. Most social media platforms are probably blowing out 97 and 99% of what's in your 
social channels. I mean, they're not being Machiavellians because otherwise right. it would be such a fire hose. It would be a crappy experience. You wouldn't even enjoy it. Facebook yeah. actually did test it early on where people said, stop curating my feed. Let me just see everything. So they turned it on, let people see everything. And they thought it was horrible. And they stopped using Facebook. Interesting. We think we want to see it all. And then when you actually get it, it's like your email on steroids. It's too much. So most of these feeds are highly, highly refined and curated by whatever the social media algorithms are, which if they change, you're out of luck because that's what happens when you're a digital sharecropper. So own your website, own your email list, everything else we do. I mean, lots in the media, audio and video and social media world are all pathways back to our website, to our email list, because those are things I can own and build upon. I mean, we're very careful to use those in good sacred ways. Cause if you blow up the trust with the people that follow you, then you have no trust, which means you have no business. So this isn't about like owning it in a greedy, be abusive way, right. but just if you want to build a business, you have to own your foundation. Love it. Own your soapbox and then double down on that email list. Thank you, Michael Kitsis. So amazing to have you here. Uh, I've loved every second. I wish I had another hour because there's so much more I want to ask you. Um, but you have given us so much valuable content. Thank you. Where can people find you? Uh, so easy place to find me is kitsis.com. Hardest thing is just typing the name itself. So <laughs> K-I-T-C-E-S.com. I was not so lucky when the family came over and transliterated the name, but uh, kitsis.com at Michael Kitsis on, on Twitter and all the social media places. But kitsis.com is the place you can find all of our, all of our stuff. Awesome. And we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Crazy Good Talks podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered in this podcast represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Accelerated Performance, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.